Well, this morning we will spend some time with a passage out of the Gospel of John, John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. Here Jesus is talking to a rather diverse group, uh, which included his disciples, but also uh, some uh, Jewish leaders, particularly those who didn't care much for him and uh, were debating among themselves what they should do. So in this passage, Jesus explains himself. Uh, Let's be standing, please, for the reading of the word. Remain standing for the hymn that follows. Jesus says, I, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not in this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command... I receive from my Father. May God bless the reading of his word. A few months ago, this congregation began a search for a new worship minister, or I guess really the first worship minister we have ever had in that full-time position. Uh, This, uh, by the way, came about because we realized uh, we were working Brian to death. Uh, Brian has so many things on his job description, and so over a period of months and discussions with staff and elders, it was determined that this is the position that we would seek. And by the way, we found a great guy. Uh, I hope that you got to meet Jake and Anna when they were here a few weeks ago. I know many of you joined us for the potluck after services and got to spend some time with them there, but we are excited uh, that God has brought such a couple to us uh, to work with this church, and they'll be here around the first part of June. But anyway, I remember the first evening that the, or afternoon that the uh, search committee got together, and the very first question was, Where do you find a guy like this? You know, we knew what we wanted. We knew the basic qualifications, the qualities of person. Where do you go to look for someone like that? As far as I know, there is not a worshipminister.com. We really didn't Google that to find out. But, you know, where do you go to look? Because you know what you want. Where do you find those guys? Well, the reason we're talking about this is that throughout history of God's people, God has needed to find qualified individuals to serve as leaders amongst his people. He would have particular tasks that he needed to have done, 
and he would need to go looking for a person who would be able to do that particular thing. It's interesting to me how often God found that person among the shepherds. Now, shepherding was a rather common occupation at that time. Uh, However, it was not the only occupation of that day. And it really was not the most respected occupation of the day. In fact, in the book of Genesis, toward the end, whenever Pharaoh had invited Jacob and all of his family to move to Egypt in order to make it through the drought. Remember that story after they'd discovered Joseph was there and he was one of the rulers. And now the whole family of Jacob, the whole tribe of Israel was going to move to Egypt. Well, Egypt was a rather sophisticated country. It was kind of the most highly educated nation on the earth at that time. And at that time when Jacob came, Pharaoh kind of called him off to the side and he said, okay, uh, Jacob, just, just a little, you know, helpful advice here. When people ask you what you do for a living, don't tell them that you're a shepherd. Tell them you have cattle. <laughs> I think I find that funny. I don't know. You may not. <laughs> you know, not a shepherd, but a cowboy. You know, cowboy, it's a lot, lot more respectable, isn't it? After all, we didn't name the team the Dallas Shepherds. You know, it doesn't quite have the, the, quite the same punch, does it? So why shepherds? What is it about shepherds that God found really trained people to be the kind of people he needed to be the leaders of his people. From the very beginning, the forefathers, all of them were shepherds. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Isaac and Jacob, in fact, even married little shepherd girls, didn't they? So there you had the whole complete circle going. Moses. Moses is an interesting case. Did Moses grow up being a shepherd? No. How did Moses grow up? Well, he was born to what at that time was a slave family. His parents were slaves in Egypt by the time that Moses was born. In fact, they had to even hide him so that he wouldn't be killed. And we know the story about how his mother put him in a little basket, put the basket in the river where she knew that the princess of of, uh, Egypt, the Pharaoh's daughter, would often go down to bathe and hoping that she would find the baby and would take the baby and rear the baby. And it's exactly what happened, wasn't it? So Moses grew up as a prince of Egypt. He grew up in, in, in probably had the finest education that anyone could be given at that particular time, had all the wealth, all the power, everything that he needed. But before he could become a leader of God's people, God sent him out into the wilderness through a set of circumstances, and he spent 40 years working as a, I heard the, you got it, shepherd, that's right. There must be something about being a shepherd that really helps people do the job that God has called them to do. Of course, there's David. Now, David did start out shepherding from a young age, didn't he? He was the baby of eight sons, 
that we're aware of anyway. And he was the one that as the older brothers grew up and had other interests, David got kind of stuck with the sheep, didn't he? Even whenever there came a war and all the big manly guys got to go off and fight in the war, not David. He had to stay home and take care of the sheep while his seven older brothers were in the army. Interesting story about how one day when they were in the army and the Israelites were about to fight the Philistines and a certain Philistine named Goliath was coming out and challenging them saying, you pick your best guy, put him up against me, whichever one of us wins, then we don't have to fight this war, you know, it'll just be one-on-one and that'll be that. David happened to show up, didn't he, to bring food to his brothers And he was appalled that all that was going on. So he went to Saul and said, I'll fight the guy. Saul kind of looks at him, you know, (laughs) yeah, we're going to put the whole fate of the nation of Israel in your hands. And in pleading with Saul and explaining himself, he says this, hey, you don't know who you're messing with here. I'm a shepherd. (laughs) Uh, You know, the Bible has a lot of humor in it. Uh, it's, it's, it's an okay to laugh at everyone because it's just, you know, I'm a shepherd. And when a lion or a bear comes and snatches a lamb from my flock, I run it down and rescue the lamb from its mouth. And if the lion or bear then turns against me, I catch that thing by the jaw and kill it. Um, Saul said, okay, <laughs> go for it. We know that story. It's interesting to me, too, that as David grew up and began to reflect on his relationship with God and how God had helped him so much, when he was trying to think of, how do I describe God? How do I describe who God is to me? He sat down one day and he penned the words, The Lord? What is the Lord to me? The Lord is my shepherd. That was meaningful to him, realizing how important it was for a shepherd to know how to lead and to guide. When the prophets described how God would come soon to rescue his people, they often employed the image of shepherd. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 11 says, He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. So it's not surprising with all of this shepherd imagery in the Old Testament that when the New Testament era began, whenever Jesus began his ministry and it was his turn to begin explaining to people who he is, it's not surprising that he would say, I am the good shepherd. Now, right there at this point, as I was thinking through this earlier in the week, then I thought, you know, there's a lot of directions we can go from that. There's a lot of places we can go, a lot of ideas we can share about what it means to be a shepherd and what a shepherd does. But let's stay true to John chapter 10 and just look at what Jesus points out in this passage and find out what it is that he's talking about at this particular time about being a shepherd that was so important and is so important to God's people as well. So the first thing he says is that a shepherd cares so much about his sheep that he is willing even to lay down his life for that flock. 
that he will fight to the death for the safety and protection of those sheep. Now, a lot of things come to mind there. We know that this is the primary thing that Jesus is talking about because in this little short passage, he says this three times. Three times he says, the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Now, those of you, you, you study your Bible, you know the uh, one Bible study technique is to notice any kind of repetition in a story. And if something is said twice, then you know that that's really important. If it's said three times, it's like a two by four, you know, bam, listen to this. This is what's important here. So Jesus wants us, first of all, to realize that as a good shepherd, he is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. Sounds like David, doesn't it? David, as a little shepherd boy, would fight those bears and fight those lions. It'd be a lot easier just to say, whoops, the lion got one lamb. Oh, well, I've got a lot of lambs, you know. We'll let, the, we'll let the lion have one lamb. I'm not going near that thing. But he, too, was willing to lay down his life for his flock. Jesus contrasts this with the hired person, someone that's not really invested in a flock, that it's just a, a job, Right? Uh, it's funny, as I was reading that, I was thinking about how whenever you take a job as a store clerk or a bank teller, in your training, what do you learn if there is a robbery? If someone comes and pulls a gun on you and says, give me the money, what do you do? You give them the money. That's right. Because your life is not worth risking for this money. So it's easy to think about in terms like this. Why should I risk my life over just one little lamb? Or over even this whole flock. Jesus says, I will. I love this flock that much that I'm willing to lay down my life for the flock. Second thing he says is that the sheep know him and he knows the sheep. That his sheep know who he is. In fact, right up above that, he even said, they recognize my voice. And that when I call to them, they follow me. Here, once again, the intimate relationship between sheep and shepherd is emphasized. Jesus knows us better than, he know, than anyone else in this world knows us. I, I hope, if, if you're married, I hope you have a good marriage. And I hope your spouse knows you well. But Jesus knows you better. If you're a parent, you know your child. You can pretty much read their minds at times, don't you? It drives children crazy, doesn't it, Wes? <laughs> okay, sorry, I just was looking at Wes. <laughs> they, they, they know, but as well as your parents know you, Jesus knows you better. It's just that way. And as his flock, we know his voice too. We tune our ears to listen to him. The, the other day, well, it was last night, wasn't it, Pat? We were in... H-E-B, one of my favorite things to do. Um, I go because I love my wife. She seems to like having me there. I don't know. I push the basket. She, she likes for me to push the basket. It keeps me occupied, I think. So I push the basket around, and she throws things into it. And uh, we go through H-E-B. Have you ever noticed, though, that, that when you start, I guess everybody pretty much starts there on that one end with the produce and you start working your way through the store. You tend to kind of hook up with a couple of other people and you go through the store together. Uh, all right. Well, last night that happened to be an older gentleman 
who obviously had his, his little grandson with him. His grandson looked to be about four or five years old. And the grandson was really a corker. I mean, he was active. He was running here and there and everywhere. And every time the grandfather stopped and was looking at something to purchase, the little boy was off and gone. And so I got to watching him, you know, where he was going. He just wasn't really causing any problems. He was just over here, over there, over there. But all of a sudden, as soon as the grandfather put the item in the, ca- in the cart and it was time to go, the little boy was right there with him again. Well, I thought that was interesting. I noticed that. And then I happened to be standing right beside the grandfather at one point. And when he was ready to go, he gave out this little low whistle that I hadn't even been hearing that whistle. But standing right there next to him, I could hear it. But his grandson, who might be two aisles over, he heard the whistle. And he knew he better show up then. (laughs) Because his ears were tuned for that. He knew that. And I'd been thinking about this text, and I thought, yeah, that's just the way it is, isn't it? That when we spend enough time with our Savior, when we spend enough time with our shepherd, we hear his voice. We hear his voice in the times that are very difficult, when we're struggling, when we're in pain, when we hurt. Although all the world may not hear it, Although those of us sitting, those people maybe who are even sitting in the same room with us might not hear it, but we can. We hear it at times of temptation, whenever this world or its ruler is trying to get us to go a different direction. We can hear that little whistle. No, don't do that. Not that. That's not you. You're my sheep. You stay with me. That's how much a shepherd, our shepherd, that's how well he knows us. He can name us, and we understand and hear his voice. Then one more thing I found really interesting in this. There's several other points we could make, but one more that really jumped out to me in this passage was that his desire is to gather all his sheep into one flock. In this passage, he mentioned that he had sheep in another place. And he was going to go and call them because they would know his voice too. And they would come and be a part of his flock. Now, as far as being in the historical context, Jesus was probably talking about the Gentiles at that point. That up until then, he had just been working with the Jewish people. But he knew that his mission was to go and to seek his sheep that were scattered throughout the whole world. And that when he would call to them, they would come and be a part of the flock. Now that's interesting because the people he's talking to at this time may not be real comfortable with that. In fact, do you know what the background of this story is? If you back up into chapter 9, this is a long story. All the way from chapter 9 through most of chapter 10. This is the story of the man who was, who was born blind and Jesus made him to see again. And all the furor that that caused. Remember that? How they kept talking to the guy and saying, are you sure you were blind? Because this guy couldn't do this. He couldn't make you well. uh, This all goes against our theology. It all goes against our doctrine. This is just not the way things happen. And they had a problem because it had happened. And what do they do with that? So what do they do? They finally end up kicking the guy out of church. Say, you're an embarrassment to us. You just can't, you just, you know, leave. Go away. You know, Jesus sometimes calls people into his flock that, are not like us. 
Sometimes Jesus calls people into our flock that are a lot different from us. So what do we do as sheep? Do we run around and find the few people in the flock that are like us and buddy up with them? And, you know? Or do we honor what Jesus wants? One flock, one shepherd. Well, I sort of got into the last part, didn't I? Very quickly. Some things I'm going to take away from this passage this week, and I'll share these with you. I hope that your own mind has been going. You may have other things that you want to take away from this passage, and that's great. But one thing this passage really hits me with again is I'm impressed once again with how much the shepherd loves us. He really does. He loves you enough to lay down his life for you. One thought that is particularly important to me is that if I were the only person that had messed up, let's suppose that all the rest of you are absolutely perfect. You've done everything right. You have maintained your relationship with God. You've never messed it up. Well, I have. And if I were the only one, Jesus still would have died for me. And that's true for you, too. What if all the rest of us had lived perfect lives and we were not lost? We didn't need to be saved. What if all the rest of us were the 99 that stayed home doing what we were supposed to do and you were the only one that ever wandered away, you were the only one that ever got lost? Jesus would still have come and laid down his life for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he wants you to be his sheep. That's how much he wants you in his flock. Another thing that really impresses me is that we need to learn to trust that the shepherd is here to protect us. We live in a world in which fear is growing exponentially. Our enemies, the enemies of this nation, want us to live in fear. They want us to have lives that are disrupted. They want us not to enjoy the things and the, the people. and they, they just want us to be afraid of them. We can tell by the things that they do. That's their objective. But we have to choose. Is that the way we're going to live or not? Are we going to live always afraid always in fear, always reacting to every situation in panic. Even people within our own country find it good to nurture that idea because they're seeking power of their own. And they know that when people are afraid, they will rush and, and just do all kinds. Of, don't live in fear. Every time Jesus appears to someone in a theophany or God. Do you know what the first word out of an angel's mouth, the first word out of God's mouth, the first word out of Jesus' mouth? Always, don't be afraid. It's one of the key messages. I think of a story that Carol Osborne uh, used to tell. Dr. Osborne is one of the world's leading authorities in, in the Greek language as well as several other things, but has been a professor at several of our universities, has been to this congregation often, is, is a hero among several of us here. But he was once a missionary in Mexico as a young man, and he was frustrated because he would teach the gospel to people 
and just about have them ready to be baptized, and they would not be baptized. And finally, he discovered the reason, because they were going to baptize them in a river. And you know what? Demons live in the river. That's what they firmly believed. That's what they had learned. That's what they had taught. Been taught. It wasn't Mexico. It was Guatemala, by the way. I just finally, that clicked into my mind. But anyway, down there in Central America somewhere. But they've been taught all their lives that demons lived in that water, and you didn't get in it because if you got in the water, demons would get into you. Well, then, with that bit of knowledge, he began teaching about the power of Jesus and how Jesus is able to protect us against everything even demons. And suddenly people began to be baptized in the river. And no, they still thought there were demons in that water. That hadn't changed. But they had learned to trust that Jesus was greater than the demons. And Jesus was greater than the evil. And there was no need to fear them because they were naming the name of the one who is most powerful in the universe. And finally... This passage really encourages me to care about the flock, too. We got off on that a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting. Doing ministry for all these years, I've learned a lot of things about church I didn't know as a young man. I used to think that it was kind of up to me and to the leaders and then trying to get people involved from the church, too, to go out and to bring people in. And there's some truth to that. We need to go out and make disciples. We need to bring people in. But you know what? Jesus is kind of involved in that too. He's calling people to come to him. He knows his sheep. And he brings his sheep into the flock, I believe, where they can best be served and where they can best grow. And so believing that and reading this passage... I begin to realize that being a part of a church is really an important responsibility of loving this flock. This is Jesus' flock, but it's my flock, too, for each one of us. And there are certain people in this flock that rub me the wrong way, that I don't really care for their personality, or they may be really different from me in a lot of ways. And I can choose to ignore them. I can choose to just kind of surfacely be friendly to them. Or I can choose to embrace them and love them and learn from them and minister to them and let them minister to me because there is one flock and one shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and you are my flock. And when I hear that, I say, the Lord is my shepherd, and this is my flock. We're going to stand, we're going to sing, and if um, you need to hear that voice, and the voice that's calling you to come and to be one of the flock that Jesus has gathered together as his people We'll have some folks around the perimeter of this room. They're there to help you, to pray with you, to guide you. Let's stand and sing.